This morning, we continue our study in Mark. Today, we will see how the abundant love of God provides more than we can ask or imagine through the provision of King Jesus. Jesus came to give you abundant life, and Jesus invites you to bring your needs to him. Hear God's word. Mark 6, 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away and go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat? And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, A blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and all of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. pray with me, please. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I thank you uh, for the Dolnigs and for what they represent, uh, this generational heritage and hope that we can celebrate as your people, that you give us the privilege and, and the opportunity, uh, Lord, to celebrate the substance of your word and the abundant provision of your love and your work. Lord, I pray you bless them and bless us as a First Presbyterian Church family. Would you teach us more and more to be dependent upon you? And Lord, as we look into your word today, uh, you know better than anyone else in this room that the one who speaks is the one who needs to hear this the most. And so I pray that you'd get me out of the way and that your spirit would touch hearts and that you would lift our eyes to the hope of heaven and that you would help us to see the treasure and the fullness of the riches that we have in Jesus Christ, his word and your abundant love for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, Rad, good job, buddy. Good job. Robert, good job to you too, man. Yeah. yeah. What a gift we have to celebrate being a church family. 
to see uh, fathers and sons and, and communities coming together when you come in. I mean, wow, the opportunities we have as a church family, old and young alike. I find myself, my pockets are filled with, with cards. I was reaching in, trying to put my phone up earlier and turn my mic on, and I pulled out these Ramsey Plus cards. Amazing opportunities for uh, financial health for families and individuals and the resources that we have here and in other places. We want to encourage you to grab some. And you say, well, there's such abundant opportunities. Do all of those tables that I walked past, do they come with a wheelbarrow, much less the chicken and waffles that I need to carry with? I mean, it's unreal what happens, uh, what opportunities that are before you. And yeah, you know what? You might need a wheelbarrow. But what we want more than that is your heart. Because we're a family. We want to grow together and want to know God's word more fully uh, so that we can serve him more faithfully. And that's, that's going to happen in community. So we're going to talk about the abundance that, that God gives us uh, from this passage today. Keep your Bibles open. If you have it on your phone, please open there. And uh, I just want to challenge you to, to think about something. I, I want you to challenge the ways that you uh, discern or understand uh, your need. That is uh, to change your perspective on abundance and what abundance is. Uh, you know, we have a tendency in our uber materialistic culture uh, to get everything we need and then some. We love having our university students coming back. We're glad you all are heading back into uh, uh, society with us here in San Antonio. But if you've been to Target or Walmart or anything lately, you know that there is a total scarcity mentality when people are moving into dorm rooms. It, you, get, you get everything you need, you get what you might need, uh, and you get everything else. If you're a teacher and you've gone back to your classrooms or a coach getting ready for your team, uh, if you're a parent moving into a new house and you know it, you get everything you need for every possible scenario and then some. And nobody knows this more than new parents. New parents that travel with babies are just like, how in the world, I, how do you, how do you, how many scenarios do we have to get ready for? I remember when we first started having our kids, oh, almost 21 years ago, wow, I'm old. It's true. It's confirmed. I'm old. My oldest turns 21 this year. What? We first started traveling with her. We almost needed a bigger car just to handle all the stuff so that we were ready for all the scenarios that could happen and did happen, right? Uh, we are a people that prioritize abundance in an uber-materialistic world because we want to cover all of the needs that we might have. But I want to move you from a moving into the dorm room, getting ready for classroom, uh, setting up the family room, or traveling with a new baby mentality. And I want to encourage you as we look at this passage to, to have a, a, what I'm going to call a backpacking mentality. Here's the deal. I went backpacking with my family this summer in the southern San Juan Mountains. We did it for our family vacation because we just like to punish ourselves for fun. Yeah. We went 30 miles. And here's the goal of the backpacking trip. It's actually like the exact opposite of when you travel with babies. You want to take as little stuff as possible. Because you don't want your backpack to be heavy. Yeah, you got to have what you need, but you really want to have the lightest pack, you know. And my wife is such a tremendous planner uh, that she not only planned out every detail of her trip, but how much everybody's backpack was going to weigh with all of their stuff in it. So I didn't really get a choice in it, but I will tell you, she took the heaviest backpack for a couple of days. It's pretty impressive. But a backpacking mentality, something 
that redefines how much we think we need on a journey. This is what God's word invites us to, that we can see our needs, the lighter that our load is, as an opportunity to lift our eyes and to see things more from God's perspective and how he wants to provide for us abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. And so as we look at this passage, I want, I really want to challenge you to think about the greatest need that you have. If we think about our world's needs, it's not difficult. The difficult news that's been coming out of Afghanistan, uh, the, the deep divisions we have in our country, the polarization of politics and, and even uh, society-wise, the, the uh, increasing wealth gap in our, our country and the dangers of the cycles of poverty in our Sunday school classes. We talked about this a deep end of going to the passage. Somebody brought up the foster care system and how broken it is, the relational difficulties. All of these things are very easy for us to see globally. But what I want to do this morning is to be a vehicle to bring this home to you personally. What is your greatest need? And is it an opportunity for God to reveal the richness of his faithfulness, his grace, and his love for you? Now, the first thing that we're going to see in this passage uh, is the desperate need the disciples have for rest. And most people, when they think of the passage of the loaves and fishes, they think of the need that all the people had for, for food. And, that, and that's a legitimate need, but it's not the first thing that we see. If you have your Bibles, look down. The apostles returned to Jesus. Where had they been? They had been going out. He had been sent them to do the work of apostles, to, to go and go to villages and go to towns and to go to houses and homes and share the good news of the kingdom and to back that up. You'll remember from verse 13 of this passage with healing and, and miraculous signs and wonders that authenticated not only the messengers that they were, but the message that they had about Jesus being King of kings and Lord of lords. And they were exhausted they came back and had doing it for Jesus. Oh, sorry, uh, look at verse 14, verse 30. They returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Have you ever had that kind of energy where you're super exhausted, but you're also excited at the same time? That's where they were. And Jesus said to the disciples, verse 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Their life is, here's the truth, their life was like a train station. Can you identify with such a busy calendar that you feel like you're at a train station? That's what he describes. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So the first great need we see in this passage, it comes from the disciples that had been doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They needed rest. They were fatigued. Jesus saw it. And Jesus wanted to give it to him. Now, there's a lot of people in our culture, in our city, in this room that can identify with the deep need for deep rest. You heard Alex pray for a couple of those genres of people, all of our medical professionals, all those in hospital, even administration, all those in education, all of those in the classroom, all of the people that we're deeply grateful for on the front line, they represent the level of exhaustion collectively that we feel as a society. 
And not only that, but as school semesters reemerge, as, as you begin to do your practices and your classes and, and everything that comes with life and your schedules in America, all the coming and going, the train station realities of our culture, it is exhausting. And the Jesus invites them to get some rest. They needed deep rest to be refreshed. Can you identify? Well, look what happens in this passage if you look down. They went away in a boat, verse 32, to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and they recognized them. Hey, those are the guys that have been doing all the miracles and teaching in the name of Jesus. They're going away in the boat. And it says they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw the great crowds. You see the scenario? The, the, the people, they wanted more. <laughs> the disciples needed more rest. And they didn't get it. It's unbelievable what happened. So first, the disciples have a desperate need of rest. Second, we see the crowds had a desperate need for direction. They left Capernaum, which is on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. They left in a boat. And in the Sea of Galilee, it's big enough where you can't see the other side, but people know the boating patterns enough to know, like, if you leave San Antonio on 281, you're probably going to head up uh, somewhere, you know, between, you know, New Braunfels and Bernie. You know a general direction that way, and if you keep going, uh, we, we know if you're going to go out I-10, you're probably going to be somewhere, uh, you know, in a certain direction. Or if you go out Highway 90, you're going towards the direction of SeaWorld. We can tell the trajectory of where people are going by their starting point and the angle that they go out. No different in this day. And these crowds that have been seeing uh, and hearing the power of Jesus, the message uh, that his disciples have been given, they saw him get into a boat, and they saw him head out. And they were like, we got to go where they're going. We got to get there first. And if you could imagine, they start running along the side of the, the sea and they're watching them. Yeah, we're right. As they go from town, they're like, hey, guys, guess what? The disciples, the guys that have been doing this, they're going over here. Let's go get them. Come on. And then they, they get to another town. And by the time they say, the disciples, they're in a boat, they're with Jesus, and they're going that way. Now, come on, come on. Yeah. And they get over here. They're like, they keep running along the sea. And they're like, hey, guys, you know the disciples, the one you've been hearing about the message? They're going that way. Let's go meet them. And by the time the disciples get there with Jesus, they show up and they need rest. And there's massive crowds, bigger than they had seen yet. And, and how are these crowds described? They're described as sheep that were without a shepherd. Shepherd. <laughs> they needed a shepherd. That's exactly right. We love worshiping as families. We love wiggles in our rows. We love it. Thank you. We need more of it. But listen, it says that Jesus, he had a totally different reaction than you and I were to have. If I'm a disciple, I'm exhausted, I need rest, I've been serving Jesus after all, and I show up and all these people are here, I want this all-powerful God that I've been serving and proclaiming, I want him to look at the crowds and be like, you're gone, you're invisible, I'm going to make this a desolate place. I'm not really concerned at that point if he has to blow them away, x-ray vision, if he just has to remove them, put the invisible cloak over them so I can have rest. I just need rest, right? Have you been there? Jesus looks at them. And it says he had compassion on them. 
compassion. That compassion is a word that's rich in biblical heritage. It actually means he had feeling for them from the depth of his beings, from his bowels. And it's used throughout scripture in Hebrew and Greek to demonstrate the deep affection that God has for his people. But how do we know that these people needed direction? It's simple because they were described as people being as a sheep without a shepherd. And that is not a compliment in scripture. In fact, you can go all the way through. It's clearly seen 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 17. When the people of God were doing evil and rejecting the rule of God, they were described as sheep without a shepherd. Numbers 27, 17, it uses a description to describe people who were rejecting the Lord and not following the Lord. In Zechariah 10, verse 12, the description more or less is used to describe people who don't follow the Lord, but they do follow false prophets and even diviners in their culture, wandering sheep without a shepherd. In Jeremiah chapter 15, Ezekiel chapter 34, this imagery is used to describe God's people who had been led astray, misled by selfish shepherds who abused them for their own purposes. So when Jesus looks out and he sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd, he sees their deep need for direction, their deep lostness, their deep brokenness, their deep fatigue from following the, the promises of the culture and being burned by them. Now, why were the crowds there? Were they there to hear Jesus teach? I don't think so. They wanted to see more miracles. They wanted to see the power of God, not as much concerned about the message of God as they were the miracles that come by the authority of the word of God. But what does Jesus do when he sees all this lost people? He doesn't do a seeker-sensitive service. He's not like, and now I'll shoot fireworks off and make you all be in wonder and tell you after all the pyrotechnics and my skinny jeans that I'm wearing that Jesus loves you. When Jesus has deep, heartfelt compassion that's felt from his inner being of his soul, he teaches. He gives the word. The very thing that we celebrate generationally as we start the service and throughout our 175 years history. We're a people of the word. We're a people of the book because we know that the words of God give life, that the words of God give a level of satisfaction that we can't find anywhere else in the world, that the word of God is a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. The word of God is better than bowls of gold and is sweeter than any honey. These are all descriptions the Bible uses of itself, and we believe it. And that's why Jesus sees tremendous need of the masses, and he teaches them there's a great need of the crowds for direction our desperation, listen, when we realize our true need, we can find an abundance that comes through God and his word like we didn't know existed. But first we need to acknowledge everyone in this scenario has a desperate hunger because the more Jesus teaches, the longer the day got. Verse 35, Jesus began to teach. And when it grew late, the disciples came to him. <laughs> This is a desolate place, they said, and we know from John's account of this narrative that that was Philip who asked him. Philip! Philip's a guy I can identify with because I'm, I'm a guy, if you know me, I get tired. I'm pretty weak. I'm kind of wussy. My endurance level is pretty low. I'm that guy who's, when his wife is running, I'm riding my bike beside her. That's me, okay? And I know Philip. 
Philip's exhausted. He's been serving Jesus. He's been following Jesus. He's been hearing Jesus teach. And he like totally tries to get practical. Like, hey, Jesus, it's late, man. Like, come on, these people need to go home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can identify with Philip. And listen to what he says. Philip, he says, this is a desolate place of Jesus. And the hour's late, he reinforces that. Verse 36, Jesus, send them away. Go into the surrounding countryside and the villages so that they can buy themselves something to eat. I mean, that's practical. That's understandable. That's logical. There's tremendous need and we can't meet it. We're in a desolate place, which, by the way, you promised we'd get rest and we haven't gotten rest because these crowds were here and you didn't wipe them off the map. You actually started teaching them and they're still here. And logically speaking, we can't feed them. We don't have food, we can't buy food, we don't have money, and I can identify with Philip. Things get desperate, we get needy, and we look horizontally for our hope. I don't have the money, I don't have the resources, I don't have the stores. This is a desolate place, and my need is great. It's not as great as having more than 5,000 people who were there, and it being past dinner time, and they hadn't eaten, that's tremendous need. But I sure can't identify with the need and to try to solidify that or to solidify, to find a solution for that in a practical, horizontal way. Jesus challenges that whole worldview that's centered on what we can do and what we see. He says in verse 37, you see it? He says, you give them something to eat. <laughs> and they said to him, what are we going to do, Jesus we're going we're gonna to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? What are we going to do, Jesus? You give them something to eat? Oh, you hear the weariness and the bitterness in there. You give them something to eat? And Jesus says, tell me what you have. Go and get all the loaves and the fishes and bring them to me. You see, we have such a tendency to find our hope in what we see. And the abundance of thriving economies, the abundance of a, of, of a beneficial government, the abundance of family and social connections, the abundance of salaries, the abundance of bank accounts, the abundance in our savings, the abundance in 401k, these are good things, but they're not strong enough to hold our hope, truly satisfy, and give us the purpose that God has given us, and that is to be a blessing. At best, they can provide a band-aids. And we know this is true because we're at a point, many of us individually, many of us as families in a society where we are bending, wondering if we're going to break. And anxiety and depression are at all-time highs. All-time highs. And we've just got to learn the lesson that looking horizontally for a hope is just not going to satisfy. This week, I got calls from medical professionals asking for the church to pray for hospitals. We are strained. Please pray. This week, I got calls from school administrators. I happen to live with a school nurse, so this one's kind of a gimme. But teachers, please pray for our school. Please pray for us to have wisdom. Please pray for us. What else can I do? Just pray. I got calls from dentists. I got an email from a dentist. Will you pray for us? I normally see one cracked tooth Every so often, I'm seeing three cracked teeth a day from people grinding their teeth from anxiety. I didn't believe that. I copied that and I texted it to a friend of mine that's a dentist. I said, is this true? And they said, yeah, my friends are seeing this and we're seeing a 
a tremendous increase in cracked teeth from grinding from anxiety. Counselors, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, weeks of waiting. We got an in-house counselor here a day a week to try to minister to our congregation. Already, five weeks waiting. The need is tremendous right now. Friends, lack of sleep. People you know, literal heartache. From the headlines that we see, and, and, and it's real. And our temptation and our exhaustion and our frustration is to completely look horizontally. There's not enough food. We don't have enough money. We can't buy this much, Jesus. We don't have it. And Jesus reorients the eyes of our heart. He redefines how we understand scarcity. And he helps us see that it can be a sanctuary for God's glory. Jesus asks, what do you have? Do we even know? They had to go around. Imagine how foolish they look. Going around to 5,000 people. Hey, you got anything to eat, man? Like Jesus wants to help feed everybody. We're taking up an offering. I got nothing, man. I just followed this guy. I was running along the side of a lake. I heard y'all were going to be over here, and he started teaching. I'm waiting to see some miracles here, right? Well, do you have any, like, anything to eat? You know, like, I don't know, a piece of gum, bread, some fish or anything? No. Foolishness. They go around, and they find one boy that has a lunch with five pieces of bread and fish. And the word for fish is not like a 30-pound redfish that you get from the coast. It's like a tiny sardine that's left over from a boy's lunch. <laughs> Two of those. What do you have? They bring it to him. Jesus takes what they give him. You see what he did? He takes whatever they had that was not near enough. He takes whatever they had that could not possibly, by any math or any level of physics that we know in this world, it could not meet the needs of this crowd. And he takes it. And he gives thanks for it. And he looks to heaven. And he prays for a blessing on it. Hmm. Then he takes that food and he feeds 5,000. It's almost like Jesus blesses what we put into his hands to give us what we need. And it turns out to be abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. You see how the passage ends? And after taking, verse 41, after taking the five loaves and the two fish, he commanded them all to sit down. And there's a lot of richness in how they sat in hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves, verse 41. He looked up to heaven and he said, a blessing. He broke them and he gave it to his disciples and he divided among them all. Verse 42, and they ate and they were satisfied. Verse 43, and they took up 12 full baskets of broken fish afterwards. <laughs> Friends, this is what God does. This is what it means when Jesus says, I come to have life, that you may have life and have it abundantly. This isn't prosperity theology. This isn't so that you can take a little bit of money and give it 
and then have enough money to get your car payment paid off and to move into a bigger house in a bigger neighborhood. It's not about your material comfort. It is about a God. His name is Jesus Christ. And in a time of tremendous desperation and tremendous need that is seen and felt even by his own leaders and experienced by all of his society, that when we take that which he has trusted to us and we put it in his hands, not some of it, all of it, that he will bless it and he will multiply it so that he gets glory. This is what God does. All through the Old Testament, God gives abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. All through the New Testament, God promises this level of provision. It's everywhere. So why don't we believe it? I'm going to give you two possible scenarios that I have come up with from walking with people. One obstacle for trusting Jesus and the word of God for this abundant life is our own sin and shame. And you say, well, Mitchell, that doesn't seem very relevant to this. And let me tell you why, why it's relevant. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not one of us. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And the Bible teaches that while we were still sinners, his enemies, Christ died for us so that we could live. He showed his love for us. And, and when we are held back by our sin and our shame and our failures, we don't believe God loves us. When we focus more on the abundance of our sin and our shame, we lose the abundance of trusting God's love. You don't believe God loves you. And so you don't wait for the spouse that he has for you. You don't believe God loves you and that he's good and that he's got his direction for your finances are worthy. You don't believe God loves you. And so we look horizontally for our hope to try to satisfy our needs I'm here to tell you that the promise of God's abundant provision, it is directly and necessarily a tie to the revelation of God's love for you. Would you look at what Ephesians 3 says? Look at this passage. And he, Paul prays that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses the knowledge. He just finished praying that you would know the height, the depth, the width, the vastness of God's love. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to his power, it's anchored in his love for you that he can do abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. Have you put into his hands that which he has given to you? And I mean it. Be honest with your need. Be honest with your pain. Be honest with your devastation, relationally, financially, your living circumstances. Be honest with the brokenness of your heart. Survey what you have and trust that God is a God of love. He doesn't change when your circumstances do. God is good. And in his goodness, he's unchanging. He is a light that might be eclipsed for a while, but the light of his love will shine brightly. But here's the second obstacle that we see. It's not just our sin and our shame, but it's also that which we see, our struggles in life and we're, our suffering. When we look out and see only devastation and need, it is hard to trust God's promises that he's a God of abundance. 
and that he can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. But our feelings do not negate the fact of who God is and what he wants to do in you and through you. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will, and he is working good for those who love Christ and are called according to his purpose. That means that your situation of struggle, that the suffering in this world, your unanswered questions, the devastations that you see are a renewed opportunity, a vehicle to redefine an arena where God wants to show his glory. Your struggle is a place for him to show his strength. Your need is a place to show his provision. He wants to do this on an individual level, and he wants to do this on a city level, a country level, and a global level. The darker the backdrop, the lighter the jewel of the, pro of the promise of God's truth is in the gospel. He loves you. Look at these promises real quick as we close. Philippians 4.19. This same God who takes care of me, my God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You believe that? Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. The disciples were seeking rest. You think they found a deeper rest when they let their eyes be fixed on Jesus? Yeah. Even in serving Jesus when they're physically exhausted, Jesus is determined that we take our eyes off of seeking what we are desiring in our bellies off of seeking what we need physically. Those are real. Jesus is determined to take our eyes off the horizontal hopes of this world that will leave us in more devastation and to reorient the eyes of our hearts to trust him and his provision, to see him. He's our savior and he invites us to seek him. Now we're gonna sing a couple of songs. The first one, is a song that reminds us that life isn't only lived on the mountaintops, but also in the valleys. And I love the imagery, I'll tell you why. Because if you've ever been to the mountains, like we hike 30 miles a summer, then you know the most green parts, the most fertile parts, the most flowery parts are not the summits, they're the valleys. And in the valleys of life, God wants to give fruitfulness. And the second one we're gonna sing is an old hymn that Callan redid. It's called The Lord Will Provide. And I want you, it's one of our scripture and songs we did in January, but I just want you to, as you worship, focus on the meditate, like meditate on the words. They're beautiful and powerful. If you're in here today and you're like, I can't do it alone. I need prayer, I need help. We wanna pray for you. Pam, I don't know where Pamela is. She's back there. We have a prayer team. You're not alone. We're all gonna stand and sing. If you need prayer, just go get prayed for. There's no shame in it. We carry each other's burdens. And if you're in here today and you say, you know what? I don't know if I really know Jesus on this level. I don't trust him. I'm not sure if I have a saving relationship with him. We wanna invite you to come to him, to know him personally. We wanna pray with you to put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Because he alone is not only the fullness of God's faithful love for you, but he alone is the place where you can find abundant life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. We believe. Would you please help us to believe? Give us faith. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.